Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here in Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin. We have a great little show for you today. Going to be talking about two long-awaited albums. One longer, 14 years for the Chicks, previously the Dixie Chicks, uh, to return there back with Gaslighter. And one of our favorites is back with a new album called The Balladeer. You know, we, uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, we do love our country music. And so this is going to be an episode all about country music. We're talking about the albums. We're talking about how they exist in 2020 and what they actually uh, – where country can go from here and the good and the bad, a little uh, Lady A, Lady Antebellum in there as well. So it was a fun chat with myself, Eduardo Wes, and our friend Philip Bassnight. So if this is what you're feeling that you want to entertain yourself with for the next hour or so, I say we get to it, so let's get on with the show. Here you go. A new episode of Discologist featuring new music from the Chicks and Lori McKenna. Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review of just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last man. That right there is a lot of the What did I <laughs> Man, uh, well, we are going to uh, we're going to talk about both kinds of music uh, on this podcast, this series. Last week we were jazz. Philip, you weren't here, but uh, Wes and Eduardo were. And and when I say both kinds of music, I'm gonna I'm just gonna put this out here. There is only jazz and country. That's that's the only music that we're gonna abide from here on out because everything out. sounds like everything science. has to shite. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is science uh, because I'm a scientist. But we have uh, two really big releases. One of them came out last Friday. One of them coming out this Friday by uh, two artists that, to varying degrees, I think are some of our favorite artists. I know uh, at least you and me, Eduardo, have talked about Lori McKenna a lot, and uh, and she's fantastic. I know you're a fan, Wes. Uh, and and the chicks uh, previously the Dixie Chicks are just kind of legends at this point. Uh, so, but they haven't put out an album in 14 years, uh, and so it is a it's sort of a big thing, uh, especially given some of the content of the album. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Lori McKenna first here. I wanna I wanna start things off by playing a little bit of this song. Uh, this is one of the first singles, and this is uh, this is. Uh, you know, this is her standard, her standard gear, man. Uh, here you go. Uh, when you're my age. I hope the world is kinder than it seems to be right now. And I hope the front page isn't just a reminder of how we keep letting each other down. When I was your age, things didn't seem to be this hard Riding bikes out on the street, playing tag in the backyard You'll outgrow your shoes, you'll outgrow your bed You'll outgrow this house, just don't 
So, uh, getting old, having kids is hard. Uh, this is not just territory that McKenna has mined before, but it's pretty good fodder for country music. If you're not familiar with her, back in starting in two, 2016, she came out with The Bird and the Rifle, which, to my money, is one of the best country records ever made. It is astounding. It is actually right on that curve where Dave Cobb started to ascend. Uh, and it started working with uh, her and Isbell. And which was going to factor into this, actually. Uh, followed up in 2018 with The Tree. And, you know, we all learned a lot about her. Like, for instance, she doesn't live in Nashville. She bucks the system. She's written so many hits, like, you can't keep track of them. She plays with this or writes with this group of women called the Love Junkies. Hillary Lindsay uh, and Liz Rose are the other two. And and now on this, The Balladeer, it is her third collaboration with Dave Cobb. And so we've kind of come to know what to expect uh, for me, listening to this, though, I think uh, that kind of works against uh, this album, which is not to say that her, her craft is impeccable on this, but it really is, uh, Wes, you said off mic, it is, to me, kind of a holding pattern, right? Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, it, it's an interesting thing because she has never been somebody who is revolutionizing this type of music. Um, she's somebody who sticks within kind of the classic stream really, really well. And that's kind of what impressed me about her from the start was that I felt like I had heard these songs before, but not as good. Um, like she manages to kind of find the thing that, that other people have said before, but just say it a little better, say it, um, whether that's with a little bit of a more uh, kind of emotional feel, um, or just with some kind of clever lyrics or what, but, um, and yeah, there's there isn't for me a drop in quality of her work on this one. Um, but yeah, is I mean she's doing the same thing again, and she's for my money doing it really well again. Um, but there's not a whole kind of big jumping point of like you know what's the next stage for her. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge that it is possibly the times. <laughs> you know, we we are uh, in isolated in a pandemic, um, and one thing about this is that. Uh, it is talking about small town. This is like like Mellencamp on steroids. And uh, and one thing I wonder, and maybe you can jump in here, Ed, is 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 how appropriate is that in never mind even the pandemic, but like where we're at, like as a country in in 2020. What where does this music sit now that we know what we know about ourselves? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think if I had a tight answer for that, um, I would uh, I would be a Twitter boss, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, it's possible. I think I think the parts of this album that I don't connect with, it's possible that they are. It's possible there's something circumstantial, right? It's I'm trying to think of like friends of mine, like a woman who's a friend of mine who's my age, who has a couple of kids and doesn't live in a major metropolitan area, could could find this album to be an absolute balm from the standpoint of like it's focusing on what matters on what's important during these difficult times it, it sort of tries to paint generational pictures of recurrence and continuity and there's a lot of comfort in that you know i put this album on and in the same way that like 
I, I have this like reverence for Laurie McKenna's songwriting. Um, you know, I put it on and I immediately want it to like, I just, I just want to cry. You know, I like, you hear yeah. her start, you know, her, her, her opening chord and you're just like, all right, this is the good stuff. I'm, I'm definitely gonna, definitely <laughs> gonna get a bird and rifle vibe out of this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it, but it didn't, it, it, it's not landing for me. And I, I'm, I'm struggling with whether that's like a biographical limitation of mine or if if this is one of those things that i think you and i have talked about a little bit when we talk about country kevin which is the small town in the country song is a little bit like the manhattan of romantic comedies which is to say it's this like totally sanitized perfect right idealized version of itself and so in that small town people don't steal there is no opioid crisis no one got shafted by their governor not expanding medicaid you know it's just this it's just this idyllic place in the same way that the worst thing that can happen to you you in new york is you're getting your boss a coffee and you get the order wrong and oh no you know plot ensues so i think i think that artifice i'm i'm having i'm having a little bit of of a struggle connecting with but but the song craft the writing and the production are all like habitually strong she she sort of she she sound she makes a record this good sound effortless which is which is not easy to do yeah yeah and and, and like i said dave cobb is back on board with this i i think um I feel the same way about a lot of these songs. I think some of them are actually misses. Like stuck in high school, I feel like she's written that song before, and it's it's not good. It wasn't good when she wrote it before. Um, Two birds is interesting, but it's also like I hate to say like Real Housewives of Nashville, you know. But but it is like it's stuff that it's stuff that like and and I think you saying pointing out that it could be like just situational biographical uh, our our situation here that uh, I just don't find myself relating to uh and you know i am two years away from 50 now and she's a little bit older i think she just turned 50 maybe um and like i don't look back (laughs) on on those times and think gosh darn it that was swell um and so it is for me an emotional disconnect partially because my heart is is cold and dead but that's not here, <laughs> neither, neither here nor there but but what about you philip like how is this hitting for you yeah i felt the same way uh similar thoughts to what you all have been saying it it, it goes small in a lot of ways in a time when i am searching for big and searching for uplift and you know the rising and those sorts of like anthemic things that are you know that we'll get to on the next album that it just kind of, you know, I think stuck in high school was literally the turning point for me on the album. when I thought, Oh, I was teetering and now I'm gone. You know, I'm just, I just don't need to put this on right now in the headspace that I'm at. And I think that there are, that that is also part of, um, you know, her reflecting on her, the loss of her mother when she was really young, but, and, and, you know, I, want to say it carefully because I don't mean to criticize that, but it just went really intimate and really small and personal to me in a way that I just didn't, um, it didn't resonate in this time for me, but probably if I'd heard this album a year ago, I would have been all in on it. So there's a great, do you guys know the John Mulaney bit about, um, he's like in a small town in Connecticut and there's like a gazebo (laughs) that was built in 1863. (laughs) Um, 
And he's like, who's pitching? Who's the guy pitching a gazebo to a town in the middle of the Civil War? Indoors right? like, and out of doors. Died. Yeah, everyone just died in Gettysburg. But let me sell you on this indoor-outdoor <laughs> thing. It's like, so this this it's, has a little bit of that yeah. that quality where it's like, it's exquisite. Yep. It's it's lovely. I'm not sure that, that it's the gazebo we needed right now. And I know that this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in the age of streaming is it's not a good idea to change your album at the last minute or try to keep up with the times. But this is, we've been in this for months now, five months, and it, there probably was enough time for something to bubble up and maybe add to the album. Maybe that wasn't where she was at in her life or that wasn't, you know, there was recording precautions that couldn't, that wouldn't make that work. But I don't know. It just felt like some song maybe was just, lying around in the can that she could have thrown on in a, in a bigger way to me just to kind of signal that I, this album is of this time as well well and it's weird because like there's no humble and kind on here which uh, honestly by anybody else like humble and kind would have like honestly offended me <laughs> like that's but but you got to remember this is what mckenna does she is a nashville songwriter and a, a, a hallmark of country music is it it it's kind of like uh, weather coats over emotions. It makes them very glossy and lets a polyurethane sheen over it, and and it generalizes them down. I just haven't come to expect that from her, but that is her craft. Uh, and 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 also, I don't want people to think like we're actually shitting on this album. It is enjoyable. Like no, it, it's, it's it great. Is. I mean, yeah, th- in a lot this of is this is this is one of our greatest living songwriters here. So let's be clear. So, but it's because uh, of. The, the strength of her older material uh, that, that we're going a little hard on this. I do want to play a song that is, uh, is it's a hit, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's some of her best work. It kicks off the album. Uh, this is This Town as a Woman. The way dark is partly her fault From the back rows to the church parking lot She knows where you go when you want to be This town is a woman Memorized through every curve She took you and she gave you nerves She whispered all those dreams in your ear But if she can't make those dreams come true She knows you'll leave cause they always do She'll wish you well and wait for you right here Town is she can feel you there so I'd say here, this song really shows us some examples of how good she is. Um, you know, again, I mean, we, we've said, you know, she, she's a, she's one of the great crafters, um, you know, song crafters um, that we have these days. She's one of the great lyricists. Um, there's a couple things that she does in this town, but uh, sorry, in this song by personifying the town and as a woman and um, kind of talking about, you know, people who leave, people who come back and all these other things that, again, in, in the hands of a lesser songwriter could be clunky, but will always be clunky. I'll say that. Um, but she makes it work really, really well. And there's there's a couple lines in here, um, you know, one of which is just kind of. You know, the, the poetry of making that sort of uh, comparison between a place and a, and a woman when she's saying um, you're memorizing every curve. And that's just, you know, I get this vision of kind of, you know, driving around. I mean, I'm, I'm from rural Vermont, you know, and so I, I – 
picture and, and I live in rural Maine now. Um, and so I picture kind of, you know, driving around these small town roads that you just know, like the back of your hand, you know, you can drive in your sleep um, because there's nothing else to do, um, you know. And at the same time, I think that kind of, you know, brings in a, a lot of this song and a lot of her stuff is not about successful loving relationships, Um but, you know, there is that kind of, you know, there's something romantic about, you know, memorizing the curves of your partner. Like there's something quite beautiful about that um, that I think she's bringing in there. Um, that said, the line in this song that, that really gets me and I'm um, I'm not going to get it word for word, but she basically says, um, when you're unhappy, she's the one to blame. And that is in of itself. I mean, it's it's a great portrayal of what happens to a person who's stuck in a small town um, who just kind of can't get out there is no um kind of sign of where they go next and what's going to happen in their in their life and so i think she's she's bringing that feeling up really effectively uh while at the same time an absolutely stunningly accurate and devastating comment on men um and on the way men mistreat their women um in their lives i mean their partners in, in their lives because you know certainly men mistreat their male partners as well but uh, that just devastates me with that line it's such a good her songwriting is such a case study in how um, understanding and unexpectedly like capturing cruelty is just something that like can take a strong song and really make it transcendent. Right. I'm thinking of a song like break you, which has that beautiful slow burn and it's just simmering with like resentment and uncertainty and being able to capture that in a way that is, that is both like, it, that feel like where you can feel the violence at the same time. And then the part of you that likes to write is also like, you also kind of smile and you go, damn, that's a good line. Exactly. She's really good at, at impressing you both on an emotional level and on an intellectual level. And that's a really tough thing to pull off. And yet I think a lot of the best country music has that balance in it. Um, you know, one of the other lines, um, I, I can't remember the top of my head, uh, which, which song it's from, but um, it brings to mind um, the conversation that you and I had, Kevin, about John Moreland's most recent album um, when we're kind of saying like, you know, th there's a lot of music that I like that you don't like, Kevin, <laughs> because it has emotion in it. It's about pulling Kevin your heartstrings, which Kevin, Kevin doesn't, doesn't have. <laughs> exactly. You just, it's, you know, because you emotions. emotions you know? um, <laughs> and yet we come together on somebody like John Moreland. And I remember asking you straight up, okay, so look, what is different about John Moreland or what is different about Damien Gerardo that makes you care about their songs of heartache in a way that you don't about some of the other artists that I like? Um, and you were kind of at that time talking about the universality and kind of pulling in something that you can talk about something small. And to your point, Philip, earlier, you know, when you're talking about kind of, you know, it's a little too intimate, a little too close um, for you when she sings the line. Um, and, and again, I can't recall which song it's in, but about um, finding her grandfather crying in the kitchen. To me, that is a universal line right there because, you know, we see our grandparents as these strong people who kind of, you know, everything that they did leads to us. And I, when I hear that, picture my grandfather and I imagine many other listeners do. And again, it just hits on this emotional level because you can see a strong person – a strong person struggles. And that's something that, that again, when good country music can bring in – the struggle of strong people. Um, and that's something that I think is important. Yeah. You know, but that's that line. I, I believe that's from the dream. Uh, I could be wrong, but um, it's the dream of Marie. They, there's a lot of songs on this album that tackle that exact thing, that exact like scene, that exact that loss 
of a parent or or a spouse or something. And stuff. I think that and, is Marie, actually. Now that you say that, yeah. And 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 and, but it, it, that doesn't like that in particular. That image, I feel like she's presented that before, and so it does. It just didn't land with me. Like weirdly, it works on a song for me, like "Good Fight," which is her closest to a Nashville pop song. The most interesting song on the album for me is "The Balladeer," what the album is named. It was magic, but she worried what if she ran out of the plane she carried round with her so proud. She wore it like a queen wears a crown. She didn't know who she'd be if she put it down. So he brought her to the river where she could wash the trouble from her heart and let it shine like gold. To my recollection, I, I just don't recall her doing a song like this that is so like blatantly <laughs> like a star is born. And you know, and but here's the thing: if Lori McKenna is going to deliver to us a a concept album about the balladeer, about that, I want that. I want that album. I, I want to see how she sustains this over a narrative of a bunch of songs. And that it didn't, I think, is what actually confused me. That it then just jumped back into – like she took like a, a like 10 huge leaps forward and then just went back to what she had been doing. And it, and it yeah, for, for me, it caused me to lose a little bit of interest. And the balladeer does a couple of interesting things from a production standpoint that are that are like not not sort of in her wheelhouse. Um, and it's got that, you know, great sort of third person uh, omniscient telling a story about right. myself uh, quality, which is the hallmark of great songwriting. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. to. I, I've been struggling with my like disappointment over this record, because, again, these are like objectively very good songs. And maybe in five years, you know, it'll be it'll be the right time for it. Um, if I can say maybe they'll oh, yeah, go. Yeah. yeah, no, I just, no, no, after you. that reminded me as I was listening to the balladeer, uh, some of the vocal recording techniques on this also just kind of sat with me the wrong way. Um, there are. Well, th- there are like doubles and layered voices underneath in places where I would have wanted to hear just one voice being really raw and emotional and exposed. Um, and I don't know if that's a sign of the times or just an artistic decision, but but yeah, for me that was another thing where I thought oh, I could I could take just a sparseness here as the lyrics are sparse. It's a little weird though because it is Dave Cobb. Mm-hmm. Right, and and we're getting ready to talk about an album where every single thing that you're talking about is thrown at at it, and it works. <laughs> um, you know, but you know, uh, Dave Cobb isn't one to necessarily uh, go with the times that mm-hmm. we've seen in his career. I mean, he's he's just a damn fine producer. Now, maybe this was asked by our label. Somebody said, "Hey, we want it to sound a little more updated," but and maybe that's the the lack of resonance that some of us are feeling here. Uh, because it does, it just feels like a mainstream Laurie McKenna album, and I know that she's always been mainstream, but like it's 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 such a weird feeling. I would say on that point also that I think because yeah, that, that I, I noticed that point with the vocals as well, and 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 for me, her voice. The starkness is one of the things that really works for me about her recordings, um, and I wonder to an extent if she was trying to kind of like bring in some new things through production, um, you know, because she 
maybe she was aware that she was kind of, you know, in a holding pattern with the songwriting itself. Uh, and, and for me, her voice is powerful enough to cover that, carry that on its own. I've, I've seen her twice, uh, both times basically solo. Um, we're pretty stripped down. And yeah, she doesn't need any of that. I'm really, I'm really intrigued by your idea, Kevin, of like her having a writing partner or a creative partner who really challenges her to to now string, you know, to basically take her craft and to and to sort of um, target a different narrative structure, maybe an album length concept or something like that. I think that would that could be really like I'm I'm just I'm like letting that sit and I'm like really responding well to it. I would love to hear a Laurie McKenna concept album. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. an interesting thing w- with that. One of the songwriters, um, one of my favorite songwriters and somebody I think about a lot when I, you know, particularly when I was first listening to her is um, Sam Baker, um, you know, Texas songwriter who who is not well known enough. Um, he deserves so much more credit than he's got, but he does a very similar um, approach to writing, um, you know, very, very emotional, just it, it's the stories of people's struggles. Um, and he has an album called um, Pretty World um, that's my favorite of his pieces um and in it he basically is taking um snippets of classic songs and it's you know mostly kind of from the folk tradition um or early country and using those as a chorus and then fitting his own verses um in between and it's it combines into something that that is just absolutely spectacular as far as i'm concerned um, and manages to kind of bring both a fresh approach to some of those old songs that we've known forever um, while, you know, pushing his work forward um, and kind of coloring how we see his stories. And it would be really interesting to see her, again, just some sort of conceptual project like that that would kind of, okay, flex your skills here, you know, um, mm-hmm. something to push her a little bit out of that comfort zone um, while making her show how good she really is. The flip side of that is that this could be a product of, of what we're going through now. Yeah. 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 It could be that this is actually like objectively a very good album and we're we're the broken ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, honestly, that's, that's, maybe that's usually true. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah. We got to just pause there and let that say because that's an amazing <laughs> comment. But, yeah. Um, and, and yet I, I wonder if one of the reasons that it's working for me right now is that I am from small town Vermont. I feel like she is talking about the towns that I grew up in. And I got to say the pandemic is making me feel nostalgia um at this point you know i saw my parents last week and i like had this weird craving to go get a burger at a fries at a like snack shack with my dad you know and it was just like i don't know like i mean i haven't even eaten a burger in years let alone that but and admittedly we were talking about the ashar gamedza like you know south african jazz record as we're doing this so it was a very like contemporary version of sitting at the burger shack but still but that that nostalgia piece to me is so central like like i you know, even though I I'm, I don't have roots in the American South, the the part of me that likes country has has nostalgia for something I didn't live right, uh-huh. and so and I think that that's one of the sort of the fascinating things about the moment we're in, and I think that that Atlantic article said it really well. But essentially, you know, this is um, even if you're going to be forward looking, you have to be you know you know countries traditionalists are. Uh, are gatekeepers and they will they will they will fight you every step of the way that you're trying to to sort of drag this music forward mm-hmm. yeah and and to that point about this so like as as everybody listening to this knows well enough like i did grow up like in a, in a rural environment and and it is uh you know as we sort of transition talking about the chicks uh you know an album like this 
that that view of, of small towns is um, is accurate, I think, um, and it certainly like can relate to a lot of the stuff personally that people are talking about, not just her, but other people talking about that. But it all leaves out the racism. It all leaves out the extreme conservatism. It leaves out like everything that makes it actually poison. And and I and that I it, that might be like deep down why this just isn't scratching my head because because right now more than ever that's important like that that we recognize that like you you can't say you have all these family values and then be like I want to put that black person in prison because they're black or immigrants you, you can't do that and country music in general has a huge problem with that. Uh, which we're going to talk about in the chicks coming up here. And uh, and they're just – they started to address it and famously Lady A fucked it up. No surprise. No surprise. Hey, let's not actually say Lady A here because there's a Lady A who didn't fuck it all up. That's right. There is. Let's, there let's is. give her credit for being the actual Lady A here. Uh, so look, the, the – the, I guess the, the verdict is kind of like – check it out. Lori McKenna is a master at her craft, uh, but – Really, if you've never heard her, check this out. Go back and get the last two albums. And then go back earlier in her catalog. The albums aren't as consistent, but there are some, like, motherfuckers of songs. Um, so there it is, Laurie McKenna's The Balladeer. Uh, now let's get on to something, uh, the other side of the tracks for country music. Uh, here is a single from The Chicks, previously The Dixie Chicks. This is March, March. March, March to my own drum. March, march to my own drum. Hey, hey, I'm an army of one. Oh, I'm an army of one. Brandon's back in here cause she don't like Mondays. Underpaid teacher, police in the hallways. Print yourself a weapon and take it to the gun range. Oh, cut the shit, you ain't going to the gun range. Standing with him and her sons and daughters. Watching our youth have to solve our problems. I follow them, so who's coming with me? March, March, and uh, dear listener, if you have not gone and watched the video for that, um, you absolutely should because it's it's sort of a um, it's it's a very effective um, example of what allyship looks like, uh, and 
it's clearly announcing uh, the Chicks' intention of um, meeting the moment. If you go to the website, basically, they say, like, we are committed to meeting this moment. We are living through some really complicated, heavy things, and we don't want to be silent in the face of it. And so, um, you know, if you if you weren't sure if in your lifetime you were ever going to see, like, a platinum-selling country artist with a Black Trans Lives Matter coda on a video um congrats you made it it it, it happened <laughs> <laughs> well how, how did we get here though uh you know it was in 2003 we were getting ready to go to war with iraq and natalie mains uh she's one third of the group emily strayer and marty mcguire uh were playing in london and uh she basically said just so you know we're on the on the good side with y'all we do not want this war as violence and we're ashamed that the president of the united states is from texas uh, people in country music had a big problem with it because of what I was just talking about, how their, their hometown values <laughs> it was, conveniently it was, put down all their racism and shit. It was proto-cancel uh, culture, actually. Yes, they got, yes, they got, it, they got it, canceled before cancel culture. It, it was, was and, but, they, but they managed to put out two albums after that, and, uh, or maybe one album after that. So this is their first in 14 years, man. And like, they've been, they really have been laying low. And when I did not expect when they came back to them basically make a Taylor Swift album. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. Well, well, they've, you know, they've, um, there's been a lot, um, the way they're responding to that absence and not sort of coming back with a, um, you know, there's, there's sort of like, there's enough of these like long hiatus reunion things that you can now sort of, do like a meta-analysis, right? There's the like, I'm going to come back and nullify my previous career, which is what the Pixies continue to do. Um, and that's a choice. You can do that. Um, Grind it down to a pulp. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you forget you ever liked anything. Do a little what? <laughs> make you work harder to justify your love for the yeah. previous work. <laughs> right. Right. And it's going to keep accumulating. It's not just one back. Sure, sure. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you thought we were just bad once? We're still bad. <laughs> right. I mean, they've burned through two Kim since then. Well, okay. we just lost anyway. the Pixies demographic. <laughs> so, and 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 I did not expect them to come back with this um, with this like much fire in the belly, frankly, with just like um and they and and you know, if you watch the there was a documentary um called Shut Up and Sing which is a fascinating insight into kind of Natalie's um, psyche and also, you know, chronicles that, that, that moment where sort of for the first time a popular country singer was sort of like, ah, we're not really down with some of these things. Um, they go to the, they go to the CMAs wearing an FUTK shirt, right. Um, for Toby Keith. I mean, I mean, this was sort of kind of like brazenly punk rock for uh, established country pop artists. Yeah, and and they've said uh, doing press for this thing that like for example that they've always hated the name Dixie Chicks, and wanted to do it uh, get rid of that and so and and I don't I, you know I, it it certainly served them in the beginning, but yeah I think I think along the way they they evolved into this band that like wasn't they were using country tropes and playing in the country idiom but they're definitely the songwriting is they can pretty easily move out of it. And it and it doesn't have to be country, and they prove it on this, like in spades. Yeah, and in fact, the instrumental sort of outro of March March. Um, so I just I just said that weird outro. The instrumental uh, piece, the second half of the song, uh, is um, is really I think remarkable from a sort of menacing atmospheric. There's like a plaintive banjo, which is not a thing you normally get from the banjo. 
Um, it's just so remarkably well done. The the these the sort of atmosphere on it is is expertly delivered, and I'm like overtly teeing up Phil now because I want to yeah. hear <laughs> I want to hear his take. It, you know, all that occurred because they they made a choice, um, and it was a choice. Uh, to work to work with your boy Phil, Mr. Jack Antonoff. My boy Jack Antonoff of Bleachers and Fun. And mm-hmm. Kevin, to your point earlier, I think um, you set me up nicely as well that you didn't expect a Taylor Swift record. Well, on the last Taylor Swift record, they were actually the one featured artist on That's what's right. arguably the the strongest song. Uh, you'll get better soon, or you have to get better. I thought that was the the song about her mother being sick was the most vulnerable and. Um, cutting song on that whole lover record um and so when i heard that and then i did hear that they were working with jack antonoff who recently has worked with saint vincent lord lana del rey uh charlie xcx it was sort of this is exactly what i'd hoped for and what's so exciting to me about it is pop country is generally not somewhere that i spend a lot of time i I like to listen to the big releases Sam Hunt, I think is his name or whatever. I listen to that album. It's fine. But but what has put this album on heavy repeat for me is how they took elements of straight pop and brought them into that world. And even some more experimental, like electronic music. And they really weren't afraid to put that those sounds front and center in the production. And I think they knew what they were getting with Jack Antonoff, but they also didn't... They didn't... Uh, try to amend that at all for their process. They let him really be a part of that. There are some really weird strings on some uh, some of these songs or synthesized string parts and all that kind of stuff that you'd hear on like a Lord record. And it was just thrilling for me. Um, I grew up, I spent all my summers in North Carolina. And so the Dixie Chicks are just ingrained in my psyche. And uh, to hear their voices done this way was has been just a dream. It's awesome. I, I think one of the fascinating things about bringing in all those song sounds is that, so this is an album about divorce and all three of them are pissed. <laughs> they are pissed off. And when this album really works is when it really sticks to that theme. Uh, you know, there are a couple songs. Uh, well, I guess it's just the anger of that. Like, you know, the, the lead off track, the title track, Gaslighter, is like that that's going to get people like shouting well not shouting in the stadium now but it would have got people shouting in a stadium um and uh but then you go down the song like sleep at night that isn't quite that you know but then they just sort of recalibrate into like texas man and they they do this like amazing balancing act so you come out with uh, a weirdly though de-aged chicks and that's why i compared it to taylor swift because on the ones that don't work on this, it is like a Taylor Swift song. And I'm like, you are you have lived far too much of life to be worrying about some of this shit. Well, you don't get, you know, I, I think um, for as for as much as I enjoy their their sort of stronger material, you know, the, their their albums have some of the, I think, pacing problems that you that you saw a lot um, from that, you know, basically up until everyone decided to be a real artist and take their shit very seriously. So, you know, on an, on, on like fly, you'll have a song like sin wagon, which is for sure an enjoyable song to hear and sing along to live probably. 
I don't know that it really does much for me on the record or like a cold day in July or something like that. So there's always been like a little bit of like fillerish material on the albums. There's like three or four anchors and then there's a couple of mid-tempo things and then there's just like placeholders for for other things. This album feels more coherent to me than some of their other ones. I don't know if that's the production touch or if it's the songwriting. There are there are some weak spots, but I think it has a nice ramp up at the end too. So if you do get to the end, you're ready to listen again. There's a sense of like maybe it's soft in the middle, as Paul Simon would say. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it also it has this uh, unbeatable trick. Uh, I, I've never seen it in pop music or or music in general. Uh, and just I, you know the the meme the gif of like leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen <laughs> that was me uh you know in in the track gaslighter she talks about tights on a boat <laughs> just a short seven songs later there's tights on my boat it is uh this this has to be my favorite country song of the year i don't see anything topping it but i it's it's not even a country song, but let's play a little bit of it because this is to get from there to here is, is just astounding. And here's tights in my boat. I hope you die peacefully in your sleep. Just kidding. I hope it hurts like you hurt me. I hope that when you think of me, you can't breathe. I hope you never find a sock to match the other one. Hey, will your dad pay your taxes now that I'm done? I can promise you're not fooling anyone. You can tell the girl who left her tights on my boat that she can have you now. Yeah, you can tell the girl who left her tights on my boat that she can have you now. You're gonna get what you got coming to ya. You're gonna get what you got coming to ya. You're gonna get what you got coming to ya. You are, you are. You're gonna get what you got coming to ya. Can't be the first one to ever tell ya. You're gonna get what you got coming to ya. Yeah, well, you know, I guess I, sh- I should start by saying that I really don't have much of a background with this band. Um, I mean, honestly, I can't remember really no i mean you know i was obviously aware of who they were um prior to the 2003 incident and all that but i certainly never thought about them in any way um before that and i and i will say i mean my my first thought was i'm so glad to see country artists doing this and i was kind of seeing you know i i was a punk rock teenager you know so i was kind of seeing a little bit of that like damn that's some punk rock you know culture you're bringing um to country there um yeah, and, and it's a challenge for me because the things that I do like about this album, I like a whole lot. I mean, March March is killer, and that is that is such a necessary uh, track in so many different ways. Um, and, and yeah, super shout out to uh, to giving the trans lives um, aspect in that video, by the way, as Ed said earlier. But, um, you know, just so, so happy to hear that. Um, at the same time, and, and I will say that, that – Tights in my boat also works for me, um, and when that bass comes in, off mic, you just said, Kevin, like when that bass comes in, it's so good, and I, and I agree with that. But but I will say, I mean, I am not a pop country fan. Um, I am not a polished country fan. Um, I'm a Towns Van Zant fan, and that I think illustrates a lot of this really well because 
for I mean, I have come to love all of Towns' albums, but you know, as anybody who's a big Towns fan knows, his albums are not the place to go to hear Towns Van Zant because of the production. Um, you know, and, and so there we are with just like for me. I want to hear my country stark. Um, I want to hear my country stripped back. That's part of why I am a lot more likely to... Uh, I've enjoyed listening to this album um, to a certain extent. I'm a lot more likely to put on the Laurie McKenna a year from now um, than I am to put this one on again. And yeah, a lot of that is just that That for me as a listener, I'm just not a fan of this type of production. It's, it's too perfect. It's too clean. Um, I... Again, I'm struggling with this because I really like what they have to say, though I guess I, I have to even counter that a little bit by saying I really like what they have to say on the parts where I feel like they really have something to say on this, and I feel like there's some other songs that are just on there. Um, I guess I was expecting a whole album of power. Um, and maybe it would have worked better for me if all the songs were powerful in that way. You know, Maybe the production would have felt more fitting, but... It's just, I mean, honestly, even on Gaslighter, which I like a lot of what they're doing with that song, but just kind of from the start, and I like some of what they do with some of the fiddles and stuff like that on that track, but it just is too polished for my taste. So, and, so to that point, though, like, is, do we think this is even country? Does it have to no. be? No, I mean, there, there, there's yeah. country aspects, there's country elements, um, but yeah, I would, I mean, and yet at the same time, I guess I would say the same thing about a lot of the polished pop country that I don't like. Maybe my issue is that it's not country. Um, you know, you've so, got so your rhinestone gonna, suit, sure, but. It's going to get, you know, we know famously that like, or infamously that, that uh, women get played on country radio basically never. Um and even if they're this big uh, and they move so many like millions of units of shit, but, uh, but like, this is not going to get played on necessary country music and it, like, but on pop music radio, it's going to get played like everywhere. So is that the move? I mean, is this, is this, could you see this is like a stake in the heart of like country music? Women are just being like, fuck it. I mean, Casey Musgraves did not make a country album and it's huge. Uh, you know, and I keep that one. I keep revisiting. I loved it when we reviewed it, and a week later, I was like, "Ugh, this thing." But I was able to actually like remove my uh, the stigma of country, like looking at it as a country album. I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay, yeah." Well, there's there's like a realignment um, that's not just around sort of um, like a line of wokeness in country, right? It's not just like Jason Isbell versus. The children of Ted Nugent. I don't know who's like, <laughs> like Kid Rock or something. Um, it's it's about it's about more than that, and part of that is this idea of um, not, uh, I guess, rejecting like a narrow definition of country and sort of rejecting the like the normative aspects of commercial country. FM play and and really saying, look, if you know if if Beyonce can record Daddy Lessons, which there's a great version with the with the chicks, by the way, um, right? Like if that's allowed, then then we can do a Rihanna song. The history of country music is that it, it pop country at least it appropriated hip hop, like full stop. It appropriated it. That was their version of pop. So it stole black culture. And then try to present it at the same time, shutting black artists out. And I would say it also didn't do a good job of stealing that. You know, I mean, you're, no, you're it's, right. It's tough because I mean, the history of, of American music is the history of stealing music from black people and sure making it. And 
sometimes that has resulted in good music. In that particular case, it didn't. <laughs> there's quite a lot yeah. of not good music. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's plenty of not. Good but music. I mean that that goes with the territory, you know. Toby Keith shouldn't rap. Uh, there, mm. There's nothing. There's no soul within him to like facilitate that. Um, and uh, you know, so with artists doing that in country, like shifting, I don't. I wonder if it's a realignment or if it's just like them signaling like we're done with country. Like I, I haven't seen anything where they actually refer to this album as country. And I wonder if they are just like done and more and more people are like done. Like if you won't play women on country radio, well, country radio is just Nashville. Who gives a fuck? (laughs) It is. I mean, they've created an interesting island for themselves. I wouldn't recommend to any artist that they should go out and try to make an album like this because I think the success rate would be so low. You know, this is such a unique album and it, it comes along with their history as a band and um with their position in country music and all that so i don't know if maybe a year from now it will look like this was a strange outlier that you know nobody's ever going to really achieve the success or even try to do anything like this again um that breaks not only from all the musical traditions of country but also a lot of the political issues of country and not maybe being uh trying to be political but being stifled by the record label and saying no you can't do that you know it, it time will tell whether anyone is able to kind of make these stands again um I, I read a great interview where they were saying that gaslighter was a term they learned in therapy uh, and they've all been going to therapy but they were really uh excited or they were interested in the fact that it could be used about the president as well. And they wanted to engage politically in that way. So it wasn't something that they shied away from. It was, you know, they're embracing this on a lot of levels. And so it'll be, you know, interesting to see where that, if there are a troop of bands that follow them, that follow suit, you know, and the touring circuits are, are down right now. Maybe you don't have to be a part of some big FM country summer jam to, to make it in that world right now. One artist that I don't really like, uh, Kelsey, Kelsey Ballerini, is that who I'm thinking of? Who is not someone that I think of as being like in a particular camp of country. I know, like, I think I first heard about her because Taylor Swift tweeted about her and there was an article saying, here's, here's what it does for your streaming revenue when Taylor Swift uh, tells her listeners to, to go check you out. So I don't think she's, she's particularly like coming out of a sort of James McMurtry, Jason Isbell, like uh you know activist songwriter mindset but i did see her trash talking those two guys who played that show in nashville along with uh maren morris and a bunch of other people and so i think i think those kinds of dividing lines are emerging and i think if and i think what what this record maybe does is that if kelsey ballerini does decide you know what i want to i want to write an album about um the 2020 election um, there's no one, you know, the argument that she can't or that that's bad for sales is getting weaker and weaker, right? It's increasingly just a series of choices that that people made that they thought they should legislate onto uh, a, a genre, and it doesn't have to be that way. And so, you know, whether I haven't read about how radio is doing these days, but I, I, f- I feel like if, if FM country is going to be narrowing its scope 
and basically treating political discourse as being inherently off limits, um, there's there's just going to be like a shallower and and less interesting uh, roster of artists to choose from. And you know, Kevin and I we, we like we G chat when the Florida Georgia Line released yeah. a new album. And, and unironically uh, enjoy it for a few hours before the shame <laughs> takes over. <laughs> uh, shame, shame hasn't taken over here. Uh, I, I, I pair it with a nice uh, Buffett track. Uh, so, but, but uh, yeah, you know, and they balance the politics on this too. It's Gaslighter and March March and that's it. And the rest is, uh, the rest that works is reserved for like just righteous, like Vince, just teethful anger uh over over their exes uh and you know artists sometimes if you remember back in the 80s like everybody had to have a, a song about russians for a while sting just named his song russians <laughs> but but you know you know have like one song on there that that's a that's sort of a, a socially conscious song and you saw people overdo it and those were no good, and those people don't remember. But I think you know this tack is something you haven't seen from country uh, before, and uh, because I think honestly, because it's coming from women, like I believe it more. Like back to Laurie McKenna, I, I forget who who covered "Humble and Kind." Like I didn't, I didn't believe Tim, he believed it was any Tim of McGraw. That shit. I think. Tim McGraw, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he's a great dude. I didn't believe he believed any of that fucking shit. Like, I was just like, you're just a dude up there singing this song that you know is going to, like, get you clicks. And, like, your bank account's going to get full. Great. You know? And and that is a problem not just in country music but in music everywhere. But but with people like this stepping up instead of, like, well, let's talk about the bit. <laughs> you said the I, I word, but white man's world. Yeah. Right. Has there been a worse song about <laughs> our current culture ever written? And, and I would say no. Um, but we've litigated that before, so so we don't need to get into that. But and the reason is is because it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> like he couldn't even focus in on one thing. He just had to like everything. And like nobody gives a fuck, white man. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> just sit down, shut the fuck up. Like you have no idea how much I hear this from Daria. Just like oh, white man has an opinion. <laughs> just, shut the, just shut the fuck up. It's so easy to do. We haven't done it for 500 episodes, but it is actually easy to do. You just, okay, I was going to say something, and then I'm not. That's that's what you do. <laughs> to his credit, though, he keeps swinging for the fences. I thought, what have I done to help? Well, not a perfect song was a, a better uh, example a, of kind of generous, what he was trying to get out the first time. You know take what I mean? On that, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say I'll say it's an improvement. I'll say it's yeah. <laughs> it was a step in the right direction. <laughs> it was better than some of his other recent stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Much. <laughs> I think you know we actually didn't bring him up during uh, Lauren McKenna, but he he well, we did a little bit. He worked closely with uh, Dave Cobb. Dave Cobb revitalized his career as well and stuff. And that was one of the things about the McKenna and the difference between this and the McKenna is that for me, like he. McKenna kind of is belled it, and a lot of people see that as a positive. But like again, it's just like a glossing over stuff. And like when when Isbell hits, uh, arguably Southeastern was the one where he hit, like it just all fucking came together, and then diminishing t returns on both sides of that. But uh, you know, it felt like that. This feels like it's really just stepping into the future and just like leaving all of that shit behind and just being like, nope, we're just gonna do what we want. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm 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 reminded a little bit of like how there are some um, how sometimes um, 
a piece of work is successful, not not on the merit of its own sort of strengths, but but based on how it sort of shifts the Overton window for the kinds of sounds and the kinds of choices that that happen within um, within a genre. Um, and um, I mean, I think, and just to just to cite uh, presidential candidate Kanye as an example of that. Um, I don't really don't really need to listen to his music, but I appreciate uh, what he's done from a production standpoint, and that he's always been like a few years ahead of everyone else with that. This isn't this isn't like this isn't groundbreaking in that sense, but I hope it is freeing for some people who are sort of thinking like, you know, to Philip's point, like, is it okay to have a synth in here? Can I do that? Can I sort of can I bring a little like EDM bass into this? And all those things have been done, but the point is there's there's more that we can do. You know what it reminds me of on that point is uh, kind of Let's Dance, David Bowie, where it, it he never really sounded like that again, but it is a reference point for a lot of people when they're doing something. They think, oh, I want to, you know, do that weird thing. And he never, uh, he nailed it on a few of those tracks and then just kind of left that behind and even went into the grunge world of the 90s you know, kind of shortly thereafter, but it wasn't, that's not an um, album that defines his sound all around, but people do treat it as a touchstone. So maybe this will be kind of a similar entry and yet, point I, I think artists. the problem with that is that, uh, it's interesting, I, I, I saw a conversation um, uh, about that album earlier today, so it's interesting hmm. that you bring that up, um, but that's not, I mean, it's it's an easier entry point into the Bowie catalog than a lot of other places, and I think it. Unfortunately, probably a lot of people are coming into his catalog through hearing, or at least at the time. You know, I don't know yeah. if that's the case now, but but you know, kind of got into him or gave him a, a you know second shot or something like that because of that, and that's not representative of who, who you know the artist that he really was. And so, is that a good thing or not? I don't know. Started Black Star and worked back. That's what I yeah, said. Yeah. <laughs> you you get a very clear picture of the man. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things is is that this has been happening more and more recently is how like so Eduardo, you and I, uh we are unashamed of, of liking like pop, uh pop country, whatever. It's just like fuck it. it. It feels good. And that that's a good thing. You shouldn't have guilty pleasures. There's no such thing. But is when artists yeah, there's, there's, actually, there's no actual like you don't get put on trial for your taste. There's no court. No, there's no sentencing. No, you can't be no. guilty or innocent of having the taste you have. No, so, despite well, that try being, being in a band. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. true. Um, now, now, despite that, that what you just said, that is the basis of a lot of modern music journalism. Is like people do it because they have to be right. People look to other people because they assume they're right. And that should never be it. Like, look, we are never right. We're just, we're just yapping. That's it. So, you know, it's just like we like it. So maybe you'll like it if you don't move right along, man. Uh, and and that's the way you should treat talking about. I think art in general. But one of my favorite things is when an artist does this, and people are locked in these little like silos where like I hate country, I hate pop, or I only like pop, or you know what, whatever it is. And then somebody makes something that's just undeniably good that actually like violates that. And they say, and the Casey Musgraves album was a great example, not a country album, not in the least, but people who have like really like felt ashamed for liking country were like, I love country because Casey Musgraves. And that's amazing because then, then they're they're they, they feel a little shame. And they keep going, like, and they shouldn't, but they keep going and digging further into stuff. And eventually they land on something 
like Merle Haggard or Towns Van Zandt or somebody, like it, it opens that door for them that that just allows them to be honestly like a more complete person. Yeah, if it if it's liberating of of people or if it helps you forget like some sort of narrow um, hang up you have, I, I I always go back to um, I think it's in the Pavement documentary that Bob Nastanovich. Um, says some he has some line about how you know rock and roll is not music rock and roll is just being on a stage and making a bunch of people go yeah like that's, <laughs> right he's like it's not a genre yep. it's not something you do with an instrument it's making people react so you know country country can country doesn't have to be uh doesn't have to have a slide guitar it doesn't have to have mm-hmm. right it, it it doesn't have to have dusty strings or uh, any of the other genres you can you can be casey musgraves on roller skates right singing high horse and somehow still be country. That, yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. Is that the same documentary where they're watching college football? Is that, I do have a point here, I promise. Yeah, yeah. And and I remember watching it when I was younger and thinking, oh, you can like indie rock and sports? Yeah. I thought yeah, you weren't a, allowed exactly to like both. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, Steve Machnus likes both. Well, look, I like I, both. <laughs> I, I, I've been watching a lot of 80s movies, and there is a lot of jocks versus nerds and stuff, but a classic case of that is like Footloose. And the reality is if Kevin Bankin came to your town and danced like that, people would be just like hurling slurs at him and stuff. And for some <laughs> reason, it didn't. Because the filmmakers wisely made it so that in that world that you could like sports and like jazz dancing, you know, in a, in a hot like brain so because you're angry and instead of like fighting somebody, you dance it off, uh, and and it's remarkable for that and and you know yeah, but this is essentially what that is doing, It's like letting you know like you can do all those things, man. It 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 also it also points away, and I think. Um... You know, I'm thinking about what a lot of um, I'm thinking about what what my company is doing in terms of, you know, using we're not like a social justice oriented association at all. We work in, in healthcare, but we're suddenly putting out statements that talk about systemic racism and um, and just sort of broader um, economic and uh, other social injustice things. And part of what you do is you look around and you want to know what the other players in that space are doing. Right. And so. You know what 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 this means is that if um, if the chicks are hanging out with Lana Del Rey and they're talking about how fucked up the world is, the chicks can say to Lana, "Yeah, that's why we put those two songs on our record. What have you done, right? What have you what have you put out there?" Um, and I th- I think that that has to matter. Like like whether that's just sort of like just social sort of peer pressure um whether it's 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 purely and sincerely believed or not i think i think people wanting to do this is the first step in people doing it mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure and um that doesn't mean all music has to be socially conscious you know i think wes you and i have talked about this the most like whether you know uh, it has to have like that those specific teeth uh for it to actually mean something like there there is a value in especially now in in escape uh, even the the actual escape the pina colada song there's a lot of value in that you can you can learn a lot about I, yourself I, I thought you were going to take us to air supply and i'm glad, I'm glad no 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 <laughs> that is episode 500 sir <laughs> there were so uh, many directions you could have taken that in uh, <laughs> but uh you know and i have to look and see if air supply has written any woke songs back in the like 70s 
They they were a '70s <laughs> band. They were groovy, and then they were not groovy. Now this is a whole different podcast, so we're not going to get into it. But just take my word for it. Coming soon. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. But when it is, it's appreciated. And and when it's somebody this big, even after 14 years, it it makes a difference. And they know it does. And they yeah, honor and, that. And they should. And they should. They should get to feel the sort of um, I don't know that. Like you don't want this to be formulaic. And I think that's that's partly yep. why. Like and 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 White Man's World is a great example where you can sort of see like the intellectual framework of like oh this verse is going to tackle this issue and this verse is going to tackle this issue. Like it feels it feels wooden, right? So yeah. But to the extent that they're getting that they're getting props and recognition and, and, and accolades for this, I think it's I think it's earned. I mean, it's it's you know if you're going to come back, come back this way. Like, don't come back and put out uh, a sort of lukewarm collection of you know torch songs. Yeah, yeah. Don't you know who also has kind of kind of done that is Bruce Hornsby just welcoming in Bon Iver and, and Justin Vernon in that space yes. and like getting weird. How cool is that when he can't? We that's a are similar, gonna be like, we're going to be talking thrilled. about that. Yeah. And the new album is amazing. Uh, hey. We'll make sure you hear it. Uh, and he's doing exactly that. Uh, and the point, the takeaway being that, like, if you're an artist, do what makes you happy and then just fuck, don't listen to other people. Like, if, if you're worried about getting up the charts, guess what, man? <laughs> it's yeah. it's all <laughs> level playing field That's now. You can, you can literally, <laughs> you can do whatever the fuck you want. And uh, and you should. And some people got there faster. Uh, I think Dixie Chicks are there. I can't, for one, wait to see uh, what they do next. And I think uh, this is this is a home run. I think would you guys mostly agree, except for Wes, hater. <laughs> I, and I, I would like to say I'm really glad that they made this record, and I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad the songs that are good are there. You know, the fact that it doesn't work for me as an album that I'm going to listen to often does not take away from you know the fact that they made it and should have. My uh, my vinyl came in the mail today for this, mm. and it's la oh, it's yes. labeled Dixie Chicks. And now I'm wondering, Ooh. like, should I not open it? Should I? <sighs> Just because you fall on tough times, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you that's right. Did you, the did, primo did, you merch. did you get the Lady Antebellum package? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what's going on there? Uh, thanks for hanging out, guys. We're gonna take a quick break before we finish up this show, and we will be back in a minute. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to Eduardo, Wes, and Phil for hanging out. That is about it for this episode of Discologist and uh, a great conversation about country music. I love talking about country music. I love listening to country music. Uh, and then I'll put on some jazz, or then I'll put on some metal, or then I'll put on uh, some goofy like 80s pop. Uh, that is, that's how I uh, sort of swim in the musical ocean. And uh, I think uh, well, it's worked out for me pretty well. And I think maybe uh, if you aren't doing that, maybe you should try that too. Just pick a record off of streaming or wherever and 
put it on. If you don't like it, move on to the next thing. Just always keep exploring, and uh, you'll find great new stuff. Uh, also, uh, just to reiterate, you know, we are huge, huge fans of of Laurie McKenna, and now actually the chicks. I've been going back and looking through their old catalog, which I wasn't too hip on uh, before. And, and um, you know, but these are conversations about music. And these are not like concrete opinions about music. This is this is us sort of talking out our feelings on this particular day. Uh, that may change. I can't tell you the amount of albums that we've come around that we've. It seems like we've been hard on, and then we come around to it, and you know, like a month later, and it's like, oh my god, we were so wrong. Um, maybe we'll start putting those corrections or re- revisiting stuff in the thing because it's it's often hilarious. Like uh, some of them are. It's kind of so hilarious how wrong we can be, but but often we're right too. Because uh, we love music and it all comes from a place of love. So there you go. That is it for this episode of Discologist. Uh, if you like what you heard, follow us on the socials. But more importantly, uh, there's lots of artists and lots of people doing stuff like this. Small independent groups, uh, venues are trying to put on shows. Find find someone in your community that really needs it the most uh, in your artist community. And figure out a way to support them, whether that's for, with like a one-time donation of $5 or uh, a sustaining thing. You know, we have a little thing that's going to be in this episode uh, where you can do that per episode. Uh, I haven't figured out who we're giving the money to, but I, I will tell you, we don't need the money. So we're going to like pay it forward uh, if it comes to us. But you know, it is it's always a good feeling to know that people are supporting your work. So if that's what you feel, do so. Uh, we'll put some links in the show notes for that, too. Coming up in the next week or two, we're going to be talking about Rose City Band's new album, Summer Long. That's going to be a uh, conversation between me and Jonathan Hart, who hosts the the podcast Broke Down Pod. Uh, then we have, let's see, Emmanuel Wilkins. We have Bruce Hornsby coming up. We have, so There's a lot of good music coming up in the fall, as long as we can uh, keep it all together. So I hope you and yours are out there staying safe, staying sane. Staying sanitized, uh, and we will talk to you in a few short days. Talk to you soon. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Kenobi!